0: You know, a blowjob, you know, with a a hard erect penis, obviously it's great, but it also feels really good with a soft penis. Like, it's okay to not have an erection during this. Like, it's still a delicious mouth on your penis. So, like, why does it matter?
1: Welcome back to Bad in Bed, the Queer Sex Education Podcast. I'm Gabrielle Cassell.
2: And I'm Bobby Box.
1: And we are queer sex educators and journalists. Later on in the episode, we're going to be talking about how to queer your sex toy collection with Fun Factory expert Kristen Tribby. But for now, Bobby, I want to let you in on what me and my therapist talked about this week.
2: Okay, you do that because I've ghosted my therapist, (laughs) as is normal for me. So uh, please go on.
1: I was just talking about this with a friend. Almost everyone I know has ghosted their therapist.
2: Yeah. And like you come back and you're like, okay, you were right. But, you know, I know it's going to happen, but I'm not ready just yet.
1: So, obviously, my bisexuality exists in a way that ebbs and flows, and there are some days where I feel like that label doesn't quite fit, and other days mm. where it feels really validating to me. I've kind of expressed those feelings on the podcast before. Right. Recently, something that I've been thinking about as I've been flirting with folks, and I'm back on the dating apps, lol. We love. Is I find myself being particularly defensive around my bisexuality with people who are giving off signals to me that they might be anxiously attached? Like, have you heard of attachment theory?
2: Yes, but I don't think I'm as familiar as you are. So okay,
1: you- let me spark notes version you. Okay. Perfect. So attachment theory basically says, It sounds kind of doomsday, but it basically says that the way that our caretakers cared for us or not when we were children affects the way that we receive and show up in our receive love and show up in our relationships today.
2: Okay, that makes sense. So
1: folk who are anxiously attached typically had caregivers who were not consistent and therefore today long for a loving relationship. But once they get into one are constantly afraid that their partner is going to leave them. Okay. And so what that looks like in practice is somebody being like kind of needy.
2: Okay. Yep.
1: And like, you're not going to leave me or like, like, please never abandon me or, you know, kind of like that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like 25% of the population like is anxiously attached, or at least that's the statistic my therapist gave. And if you told me it was higher than that, I would believe you. Same. But I've been flirting with a number of folks recently who I'm picking up on the fact that they might be anxiously attached. And I was talking to my therapist about whether or not long term it is possible for somebody who is anxiously attached to be with somebody who is bisexual. And the reason I asked that question is because I feel like those are the folks who would be most susceptible to fearing the myth that bisexual folks are more likely to cheat on their partners, you know, specifically with somebody of a different gender than their own.
2: Right. Yeah, I feel like it's oh, there's always like an air of feeling threatened. Yes. And that like, I will never be able to give you everything that you need. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually.
1: Oh, yeah. So I, you know, I asked my therapist this question and she was like, that is a really interesting question from a philosophical standpoint. Yeah. But she did assure me that she has seen a number of people who have a history of anxious attachment work on those anxious attachment wounds in order to show up to their bisexual partners and not just be anxious messes the whole time. So I guess that's comforting, but in general it highlights for me this concern or this question of how do I, as a person who is bisexual Mm -hmm. and who feels deeply, deeply monogamous, how do I convey that to a partner anxious attachment style or not? Like how do we as bi folks like, assuage fears that they have about the fact that we're bisexual without like putting ourselves down.
2: Yeah, honestly, it's something that I mean, like you, I kind of struggle with bisexuality, like even the label itself. I I struggle with labels in general, but I also fall into the bisexual trope where everyone's like, well, bisexuals just can't make up their minds. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like that with my relationship style, with if I even want to be with somebody, if I want to be single, how I want to carry on my life. I can barely decide what I want for dinner. Do you know what I mean? Like decisions are not my cup of tea. And through my therapy, I found out that making decisions for me as an anxious person is really difficult. And I almost always regret my decision because that's just who I am. Oh. Yeah. And I will be like, well, you made the wrong decision, but of course you did. Like, it's just always like down talk like that.
1: And so... I guess my question for you is like, it's bigger for you than like man or woman or man or non-binary person. It's just like, like actually what is my preferred relationship style?
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it would make sense. Like I've actually, you know how I like to do like a little bit of research before each uh, chat that we have. You and I as journalists, we both know that you can find a study to prove any point. Mm -hmm. Like no matter which angle you're coming from, there's a study that can help.
1: Wait, what did you find?
2: So this one is in the psychology of sexual orientation and gender diversity, which recruited 6,000 people and found that bisexuals rated monogamy as less of an enhancement and more of a sacrifice than heterosexual and gay and lesbian people. So they find it, you know, a little more beneficial than most would. So it does kind of lean into the stereotype. But again, you can't ever say that because that is a finding that every bisexual person is more comfortable.
1: but Yeah. Okay. So great. Love that. Once you buck one social norm, it's easier to buck another social norm. What the fuck, though, does that mean for me, a bi person who really feels deeply monogamous? Like I've really read all the books on polyamory. And I just don't think that that is a relationship structure for me specifically. So how do I validate people as they're getting to know me? Like, how do I assuage those fears without being like, I like, no, don't worry about it. I like women more than men. I'm not going to leave you for a man.
2: Yeah. And even like having feeling like you have to say that is so invalidating to your own sexuality, too. It's like, well, don't worry, because I like women more. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is also like, I don't know. I always feel like as a bisexual person, you almost need to like be with somebody who's especially secure with themselves or just very educated on that topic because they need to know it's less of a you issue, and more of a them issue if you're entering a relationship, you're confident that you want that person and nothing but that person. Oh my
0: gosh, yeah.
2: So like, where me, I'm like, am I? (laughs) Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, I'm less sure. So, I think that in your case, it's definitely going to be something that they have to work around. And with me, they're just going to, have to realize that they're with somebody who can never make up their mind.
1: (laughs) Do you like being with somebody who is really assertive?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: In terms of decision makings, in terms of the bedroom, in terms of all things? In
2: terms of every, all of that. Mm. And I typically date people where I take a back seat in terms of like, they're the personality and I'm the quieter one. Mm. And I like it that way. I think at one point I was like, oh, do I like, do I like being overshadowed? Like I'm always overshadowed in my relationships, but I do think I like it that way.
1: This might get too deep, but do you feel like part of why making decisions for you is hard is because you lack security? Like, is some of of that in play here?
2: Oh, I think so. Definitely. I know that, like, I come by it honestly because people in my family have also, like, when somebody says, where do you want to go for dinner? What do you want for dinner? Like, I I get actually stressed out with that question. Yeah. It comes at a detriment to me that, like, I'm not happy a lot of the time because I just want them to be happy. So I think that, you know what? Maybe I should call up my therapist again.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's three-way call them in. That's yeah. so funny.
2: Where do, how do you find you are in that? Because I think you're really good with boundaries.
1: I'm good at boundaries. Yeah. I really dedicated 2021 to becoming better at making boundaries. For me, I feel really secure in a lot of aspects of my life. I feel secure in my career self. I feel secure in my financial self. I feel secure in myself as an athlete. I feel secure mm-hmm. in myself as a friend. The one avenue of my life where I feel so insecure around my experience or inexperience is my relationship history. And so I feel secure in who I am. And I feel like I hold a lot of shame around the fact that like, I'm 27 and a half, and I still Mm -hmm. have not really been in a relationship. I've been in all these like little fucked up situationships. Right. But I haven't, like, had a long-term boo who mm-hmm. I'm reaching milestones with. And I have a lot of insecurity with that, especially because over the last six months as I've gone on dates with folks, they are people who either have been engaged or have been married, right. who are now divorced, who lived with a partner, and then after six years decided it wasn't for them. And I can't help but feel behind and I, oh, this is back to what we talked about, I think, the first episode. Yes. This, yeah. Just this idea of being behind, it, it haunts me.
2: Yeah. And I find that, especially this time of year, that kind of is almost amplified because, you know, the holidays are about family. And it is like, you know, like I've got friends who are, you know, they've got toddlers now, like children who are speaking to them. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm in my bachelor apartment. Not bachelor. I got a one bedroom, everyone. So, but, you know, it, it is. It, it's sobering sometimes, especially now with like, you know, the pandemic's getting worse. It's very lonely. And you never feel loneliest than when you're. it's the holidays, you know? The
1: holidays are not a good time of year for me.
2: No, me neither. Uh,
1: My parents are split Mm. and both of them have partners and both of their partners have two kids and both of their two kids have long-term partners. And so I often feel like I am so glaringly the seventh wheel.
2: Right. Oh, see, and mine's the complete, like my parents are together and I'm an only child. So I go there and it's just like this big love fest, you know? Yeah, the holidays, is just, I do, I feel like everything's heightened, like stress, everything. We're being very vulnerable in this intro. And I think that that's something that we owe the listeners to, because I think that you and I do have very vulnerable conversations on a weekly basis with each other. And we're starting to let the, the, the listeners in. And I like that we're doing that.
1: Yeah, I, I feel more comfortable sharing with, I guess, folks, the messy journey that is like being a human um, yeah. And for my own sake, I don't want to be held to the standard of expert all the time. Yes. I think it's, it feels good for me to to pull back the curtain and be like, hey, I, I have the answers to a lot of questions. And also in my own life, like there are these moments of sadness and inadequacies.
2: Yeah. And I've always felt that way with therapists too. Like, I'm like, do you have all your shit together? Like, uh, how nice would <laughs> that be? And then, you know, you talk to them, like some who are friends and they're like, absolutely not. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we're all in the same boat. Oh!
1: Healing vibes. All right, let's um, ramp up the happiness <laughs> level of this conversation. Yeah, sorry.
2: about no that. And <laughs>
1: let's bring on expert Kristen Tibby.
2: Let's do it. Hello there, sexy penis owners. It's Bobby here chatting with you about the Cobra Libre, a fun penis toy that we haven't discussed on the podcast before. The Cobra Libre is a masturbator made specifically for the head of your penis, which, in case you didn't know, hosts the majority of nerve endings on your member. The most sensitive being the frenulum, the small stretch of skin connecting the glands to the shaft on the underside of your penis. The Cobra Libre is great for edging and unlike most strokers, it's so impressive that it doesn't even have to be moved at all. Just insert your penis and sit back and enjoy the fantastic tingly sensations that it has to offer. A pro tip from me, wear one while you're bottoming since some positions make it tricky to stroke. To find out more about the Cobra Libre, visit funfactory.com. And if you like what you see, use code Bed for 20% off your purchase.
1: Today on the episode, we are joined by queer sex educator Kristen Tribby. In addition to teaching sex ed to the masses, she's the head of global marketing with Fun Factory. Kristen, so happy to have you on the pod.
0: I am so happy to be here, and I am so excited to actually sit down and talk about all things queer sex toys. The world needs to know about it, so here we are. Wait, so
1: Kristen, how did you even get into the role that you're in? Like, Tell folks a little bit about your backstory. Share your resume with us.
0: Sure. Well, I actually used to own my own business. This was now, oh God, I guess it's about 18 years ago, which was a queer styling business. And I had um, been working with Babeland and they started to ask me to come over and work on some of their marketing. From there, I started working with Pleasure Chest. These are some of the best sex toy retailers in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And from there, I got recruited by Fun Factory, which I consider to be the best, if not one of the best Mm -hmm. manufacturers in the industry. So I've been in the industry for, mm, I think, about 16, 17 years now. And it has been yeah a great journey. And what I think is really awesome about it is that there's a lot of queer folks in this industry. So, you know, it's really nice that, um, you know, you feel like you're at home, part of the family. I'm curious, like, do you feel like the fact that
1: you are queer has influenced how you approach your work with Fun Factory and with your work in sex toys in general?
0: I mean, it's really hard to not have that particular lens on um, on the work that I do. I know that there is obviously people, you know, queer folks have queer sex, uh, but mm. I've also found a lot of like straight folks who are really wanting some of that advice. Like at the end of the day, penis is involved. With, it's really about how we access pleasure. And so mm. I find myself actually inspiring a lot of straight folks around alternative ways to have sex. And I think that that has been one of the most surprising things and probably one of the most welcome because just because I'm a queer woman doesn't mean that the advice I might give to straight folks is going to be something that might not apply to them.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really important point is just like the limitations that they impose on themselves. I feel that my sex life has gotten so much more interesting the more I've welcomed the queerness of sex into my life. Like, sure, I was closeted and you could say that that was part of it, but I also feel that I know things about my body and even bodies of other genders more than I ever would have known. Like How similar, for instance, the structures are, like our genitalia, is so similar in a lot of ways. I wouldn't have known that. I don't think if I would have done the digging as a queer sex educator.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think there's just magic in talking to people. Like Queer folks are much more open about sexuality. So I think that we've had a lot of time to sit around with coffee or wine or whatever it is and talk about these hacks and talk about ways that we're accessing our body. And I think There's not a lot of permission given to a lot of straight folks or they feel that they can't really be open around that. And that's why I feel like queer people have the best sex and should be in this industry helping to lead the sexual revolution. Um, or the new phase of that. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. The more you dig in, the more you talk about it, the more you discover things about yourself.
1: And especially historically, there's been literally zero blueprint for queer folks on how to have the sex that they're having. As opposed to maybe straight folks, they go to a sex education class, they learn one one body part goes inside another body part, and then they kind of replicate that. Versus, like, for me, I feel so grateful that I have been having queer sex as long as I've been having sex. Because from the get-go, I've had to to totally come up with the ways in which my partners and I pleasure each other.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I feel like there's this, this sense of creativity and, you know, I always tell this also, I I mean, I hate making this about like straight folks, but I always tell folks like, Hey, you know, sex is not linear. And at one point this like PIV understanding of sex that you have can fail you. And if you're Mm -hmm. constantly relying on this process, you're going to be very limited. And then also when that process may or may not fail in the future, what are you doing you're going to be starting in a state of almost fear around what your body's not doing instead of just celebratory and kind of adding in new ways of having sex while everything's still kind of working in the way that you intended so i think there's just a lot of a lot of um again like work that's that uh, queer folks do in this industry that's really important for everybody to be listening to. Wait,
1: I think this idea of sex being nonlinear is so interesting. Can you expand on that?
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, sex being nonlinear is something that really comes out through queer sex, being that the way a lot of queer sex happens is, you know, there's not just like a, a build up, then something goes inside of you, then there's an orgasm. There's a lot more play involved. And I always like to say that, some of the best sex we have doesn't actually end in an orgasm. And when you think about the Mm -hmm. best orgasm you have, you actually think about what you were doing to achieve that orgasm, not necessarily the orgasm itself. And I believe that a lot of straight folks are focused on the actual orgasm, orgasming together, which is like a pressure I do not want in my life. Mm. And, you know, and that there is a, you know, foreplay, if you're lucky, then the penis goes inside, then there is ejaculation. And maybe, 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 Hopefully the, you know, female body person had an orgasm before that ejaculation because Mm. that is like the end, you know, the curtain closing end result of what's going to happen that evening. And I'm not saying that all straight folks do that, but I do think that is much more common and very limiting. Mm. And if you are continuously expecting that penis goes in vagina, penis needs to be completely hard, always going to ejaculate at the right time, you're really placing a bet on the on the wrong horse, so to speak. You know, like it's not going to always work that way. Yeah. So sex being nonlinear could be also have to do with, you know, where we're at in our in our life. A lot of, you know, let's say um people find themselves in their 50s reimagining their sexuality. And if they were kind of on this linear path, there would not be a lot of permission to figure out what that might look like. It's because it usually means that like at a certain age, like sex starts to decline and, mm. and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, let's get out of linear sex and have more fun. I think is the message.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that a huge thing, even like, I have a lot of people in my DMs, like queer men reach out and just say, express a lot of insecurities, you know, like they might find anal sex uncomfortable and they don't like it, but they're supposed to quote unquote, or they they can't remain hard during sex because so-and-so. You know, there's so many reasons. I can only speak to the male or penis owner perspective that there is a pressure to perform. And a lot of people feel that pressure to the point that they can't perform because they're in their head so much. And I think that this nonlinear approach is great because we are so goal-oriented. Like if you don't have an orgasm, you, you get in your head that why didn't you have an orgasm? Or if they didn't have an orgasm, you get in your head about what did I do? They didn't enjoy themselves. So I think it's important to Enjoy the journey, even if you don't get to said imposed destination.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's this thing that's really interesting because I, I've talked to some penis owners in the past that talked about like, you know, a blowjob, you know, with a, with a harder erect penis. Obviously, it's great, but it also feels really good with a soft penis. Like it's okay to not have an erection during this. Yeah. Like it's still a delicious mouth on your penis. So like, why does it matter? That never occurred to me. I'm just going to say it. That has (laughs) never occurred to me. It's actually more comfortable for your mouth, you
1: know? Yeah. And
2: you know, you get people too. Like, I love when they say this, you know, like if you do want to like give them a blowjob or whatever, they might say like, listen, it takes me a while or I don't usually orgasm from oral. And it's like, cool. I'm glad you felt comfortable saying that to me, but I still want to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah, like it's like I'm totally fine with that. Don't feel any pressure. Just enjoy yourself.
1: It's interesting. I feel like there's a thin line. Like we want folks who want to be having orgasms to be able to have orgasms and have partners who facilitate that. But on the flip side, I feel like so much focus has been put on the orgasm gap that it almost creates this like orgasm imperative that if you don't help your partner come, then you are bad in bed or that there is sort of this like failing
0: of that sexual encounter, which is also not the case. I completely agree. I think the orgasm gap, although very interesting and something to look at, it it definitely you know, still, still puts us in this paradigm of how, how sex should be, you know? And I mean, of course, as, as a queer woman, I love the stat that says when women have sex with women, they typically have orgasms more often than like with men, you know, I, I'm like, yay, you know, I like want to raise my little flag and be like, come have sex with lesbians. Um, but you know, in general, I think that, you know, we do start that kind of orgasm gap ends up being like this pressure yet again. And one thing that's really interesting, we found at Fun Factory, was that we came out with um, Sundays, which is a very slowgasm kind of product, and we found that in different countries, people with vulvas are responding differently. So what we're finding in the U.S. that we're so task-oriented, we, we really don't have a lot of time off work. We're like stressed all the time. The idea of taking a full Sunday to have a slogasm is just not something that we have time for. And then when you talk to European folks, they're just like, "This is the perfect toy because it actually allows me to play and take my time." And part of me is like, yeah, and you guys are guaranteed 30 days of vacation every year.
2: Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that you brought up the point that like our time is so limited that it's almost like orgasm is something we just check off a list because I feel like the pandemic helped me kind of cultivate the slow orgasm and learn to appreciate it more because, you know, you went from working and like, you know, going out to all you had was time because you were just stuck in your apartment. Honestly, I learned through the Manta, in fact about the frenulum orgasm during the pandemic and Oh
0: yay. <laughs>
2: I truly like I'm not even lying. I think I've, I I no, I don't think I've absolutely used it every single time I've masturbated since.
0: So That's great. I'd love to know. hear that because you know, one of our campaigns the, the frenulum-based orgasm came from digging into Reddit. And I was so fascinated because this is a really good example. Like there's this thing that happens in in stores when people shop for sex toys, but a lot of time straight men will say to their straight female partner like hey um, why do you need that when you have me like getting very uncomfortable with the idea of sex toys mm. and you know we really wanted to figure out ways to bring in a, you know a male a penis toy into sex and we start talking about the idea of like turn your penis into a vibrator okay it worked really well but at the end of the day it really missed some of these other really fun things like frenulum based orgasms and i would say that would be a queering of that sex toy because our, you know, penis owners taking the time to explore. Oftentimes men, you know, being raised as a man, you are taught to um, orgasm very quick to go into the bathroom, be in and out. Like you're not taught necessarily mm-hmm. to explore. And so I love the idea of this, queering of this sex toy to say like, I'm taking this back. I'm going to play longer i'm going to take the time to explore my body yeah so i'm so happy that that was your feeling around it (laughs) yeah
2: because like you said it used to be almost perceived as a threat you know as a penis owner to your masculinity or something it's like well how you need that toy why am i doing it silly to think about in retrospect but now as like a queer man when i like sex toys are encouraged like I have so many that people are like, Oh, I can't wait to use them with you. Do you know what I mean? Like That's it's so great. It's socialized in a different way that it's like encouraged.
0: Yeah. And I just, I think that that is a, a litmus test uh, a bit to have a person come to your house and to, or to be, you know, messaging them and, and talk about sex toys and how mm. to be celebrated. When I think about yeah. people getting nervous. Like I've talked to so many vulva owners who are like, oh, I, "I'm just too scared to introduce a vibrator to my male partner. I'm too scared." And I'm like, "But why? But why? Let's mm. just talk about. Let's break that down. Because if this person isn't going to be invested in your pleasure, are they worth? Are they worth it? Is that really what you want to do?" So I've always find that, like, you know, yeah. what kind of lube somebody has in their bedside table, I'm a bit judgy about. What kind of sex oh, toys? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, you know that kind of judgment <laughs> where you're like, "No, you did not buy that lube. That it's like full of glycerin."
1: No, I do the same thing, but I, I wouldn't have named it until you said that. I'm like, ah,
0: yes. <laughs> judgment is the wrong word. I, I think of it as opportunity for education. Mm. <laughs> there
1: you <go>. <laughs> <laughs> of the episode where I wax poetic about my new favorite Fun Factory product. Well, I've already talked to you about the Fun Factory Limba Flex, but after using it this weekend, I've decided that you should hear about it a little bit longer. The Fun Factory Limba Flex is available in a small and a medium. Personally, I like the small. It's about four and a half inches long, about an inch and a quarter wide, which is the same as a finger, maybe a finger and a half. Easy to clean, made of silicone, features a bendable core, soft to the touch. You can shape it to match the shape of your internal canals. Oh, I could go on and on and on and on and on about the Fun Factory Limpa Flex. Check it out at funfactory.com and use the code word BAD in bed at checkout for 20% off discount. Woo, we love a little money saving. I'm curious if Kristen has any tips for introducing the idea of sex toys into your life because there obviously are so many folks who use them on their own and then don't use them in partnered or multi partnered play or have never used a sex toy, period.
0: Like how do you how do you jump that hurdle? You know, I think there's so many ways to do it, and it really depends on the couple. Oftentimes, watching something with sex toys being used in it, whether that's porn or whether you're just watching a whatever it is that's going on in your life um, start the conversation. Mm. I also feel like just using the time that you're intimate with your partner and talking about fantasies and talking about how it'd be so hot to see them use something mm-hmm. or that you would like to use something on yourself and have them watch, sending pictures, like going shopping with your friends and taking pictures of the sex toys you like in the store and then texting them to your partner. Oh, fun. That's fun. Um, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. And I always like to dig into be like, what, what is the hurdle that the person's feeling and then find the perfect solution for it. And then I think it's just straight up. Like, I like when people are just direct, I use a sex toy often. I need it to be able to have an orgasm. What do you think about it? I mean, that is super hot when somebody's direct and confident. Mm. so that's how I would recommend it when you start getting into things like strap-ons I do mm. think that, that there is you know another hurdle of kind of nervousness about like strap like actually putting it on mm. so I always tell people when it comes to that to make sure that you're you know alone by yourself like you're, you're putting it on you're seeing how you feel and then walk around dance a little bit see like what you like where's your power in this, uh, this dildo and harness that you're wearing because it can be very intimidating to like put it on and then for the first time and go and start penetration mm-hmm. so I like people to you know have a personal party with their strap on before they do it for the first time with a partner
2: yeah have you um found that there's any trends this year for sex toys I feel like Maybe there's been a difference in behavior, given that we've all been kind of locked indoors for the majority of it. Have you seen any new kind of yes trends coming along?
0: Our double dildos sales increased like over three hundred percent, and oh I just okay. So I am you know a newly adopted parent, and when the pandemic hit, I was like, people are baking bread and having extensive sex. Like I am like, who are these people? I, I I'm very jealous. Um, that <laughs> was not my life, but what I you know in perspective, looking at people's consumer habits, double dildos were extremely popular during this time. And what we also found out, this was years ago, but that half of dildo cells are, are two straight couples. So mm-hmm. I love the fact to think that like there's a lot of pegging going on. Like the pandemic brought out pegging, it brought out people experimenting. We had um we had a lot of folks really interested in you know, what we consider are more advanced sex toys. So anything with anal and strapping it on was like, most popular things during the pandemic, for sure.
1: So can we talk about double dildos for a second? Please. I feel like (laughs) folks are really interested in them conceptually and then buy them and don't know what to do with them. Do you have tips for how much lube to use, if you are the insertive partner, whether to use it with a harness? I mean, honestly, anything you have to offer, I'd love to hear it. Sure. I think with double dildos,
0: um, the thing I always like to say is that there is a marketing claim that double dildos will stay inside of you and you can wear it without a harness and anybody who's ever used one knows it's very difficult to do that in all positions you're usually kind of limited to a couple positions if you are mm-hmm. going to choose to wear it without a harness or you just have very strong kegel muscles and you really know how to keep it in but it's it's a very heavy product right so a lot of silicone sometimes even a motor if you have a vibrator inside and it's very very difficult to keep it in so i like to tell people Experiment with it, um, but don't be so attached that you are not going to have to wear a harness later. You might have to wear a harness, or maybe if you are you and your partner are really liking a couple positions, maybe you stick with those at, without a harness. And maybe when you want to be more adventurous, you can and do crazy positions. Then you can wear a harness later. But one of my biggest tips with dildos in general is that harnesses and dildos are very expensive, and if people are starting at, you know new at it, I would say Spend your money on a really good dildo, and you can always use like tidy whities or like button fly jeans as the harness that stabilizes the product, which would also work with a double dildo as well. So, you don't have to have a harness. A good harness, like spare parts, obviously is like amazing. But when you think about the cost between a really good dildo and a harness, I mean, we're looking at, I don't know, $300 maybe. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to know that people can have steps into this. Um, and obviously, good lube. You know, anytime people are like, "Oh, my partner doesn't need lube. I just want to go hug that partner and be like, it's okay. Mm. You can use lube." You know, a lot of people yeah. will say that. You know, and I'm like, no, mm. lube makes everything better. People always ask like, how much lube? And you know, for me, if you are at the point where you're not really, if it's new for you and you don't know what your body needs, I would just say, you know, more is more. Like just, just like add more. You know, mm. have these so slippery you feel like you could just like slip and slide it on their body. Like, that's Mm. great. It's not going to hurt anything.
1: Yeah, when I apply the lube, I like to apply it both to my body and then to the insertive end of the toy. And I love your suggestion about the tidy whities I almost always wear my double dildo with a harness. Like, when I orgasm, my pelvic floor muscles contract a whole bunch, and that can result in the toy slipping out of me or moving around inside of me in a way that ultimately interferes with the pleasure. So having that harness on while that's happening, I think, adds to the pleasure as opposed to detracts from it.
0: I agree. I agree. And I also want to say that a lot of folks are like, okay, uh, double dildos are for queer women and they're for folks who are pegging. I have met a lot of men who use it as solo toys. So they'll use the the, the wearer's part and put it, insert it into their anus and they use the shaft as like a gear shift. So they are able oh. to like access, yeah. And I remember, you know, I found so many great tips from just customers willing to share what they like about things. And I that was one that has always stuck with me. And I always recommend it because it's definitely would never make it into a manual. It probably wouldn't even make it into a product detail page on a, on a website. So where does this information live? And it's usually through word of mouth. So I, I just really want to throw it out there that if you are a person who likes anal play, that this could be a really good use for double dildos for you.
2: Something I wanted to bring up was gender and sex toys. So I feel like a lot of the time, you know sex toys are labeled like for men or for women for the most part they're all made of the same parts you know we got silicone batteries vibrate so really like you could use say a cock ring as a clitoral vibrator do you know what I mean like absolutely I think that maybe removing gender from sex toys is the next step
0: yes I completely agree yes there's some limitations so for instance and this is just me getting nerdy on marketing in Mm -hmm. the sex industry but the way that we have to put certain words into like a product detail page on our website has to be there for like what this what people are searching for. Mm-hmm. So if you start going real general, um, it's really hard for people to get to you. And if you can't advertise because we're rest- restricted, we have to use certain tools. But I agree that we are moving. And we have moved, and I think we've done a really good job at figuring out ways to make it more gender neutral, to be um, more welcoming to a variety of different kind of sex practices and folks. And you know, we're still struggling with things like you know, for instance, in In German or in Spanish, French, the language is very gendered. So to say people with a penis, it just becomes really difficult in certain languages. Like English is much easier to queer our language. So it's just this kind of limitation that constantly happens. Um, But no matter what, the focus and and the work that's being done by a lot of sex educators and activists helps push us to new ways to figure things out, but it's very slow. It's really difficult. (laughs) Well, yeah.
2: And I know, you know, on the opposite end of that, a lot of people buy sex toys of of a certain color or appearance for gender affirmation purposes. Mm -hmm. So there's also that, you know, that people will choose a product based on its appearance. For that reason, that works against everything else we've just said.
0: That's really true. I'm glad you brought that up. I completely agree with you. And I think it's really important to remember that not everybody wants something completely non binary or gender neutral.
1: And then, Kristen, do you want to plug your personal channels, Fun Factory's channels? I mean,
0: tell folks where they can learn more from you and more about Fun Factory. You can find us on funfactory.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Fun Factory USA is our Instagram. We have a global channel as well, which is Fun Factory on Instagram. But our most like localized content for the US based folks would be on fun factory usa
1: oh my gosh so many nuggets of information thank you so much for for hopping on
0: this podcast with us thank you It was really fun to be here
2: i can't believe it but next week's episode marks the end of season two of the bad in bed podcast on this episode gabby and i are chatting with none other than lena dune the whip smart and elusive personality behind the wildly popular instagram account ask us Sub, where we'll be talking all things kink from how to communicate your kinks to a partner and how to put them in motion, to Lena's experiences as a 24-7 collared sub, trust me when I say you won't want to miss it. Don't forget to follow Gabby and I on Instagram and Twitter at Gabrielle Cassell and at Bobby Box. While you're at it, follow our sponsor, Fun Factory, at Fun Factory USA, our senior producer, Vivian McCall, at Pansy is Gay, and our producer, Jeb Baki at Sarsaparilla underscore Sam. Music from the Bad in Bed podcast is provided by Hot Machine. A project from Philly Band's Rubber Band Gun and Star Moles. I want to
0: know what it's like inside the heart.